Well, welcome to Light City this morning. Uh, if this is your first time with us, we're so thankful that you would trust the, us with your morning. Also, I'd like to say welcome to our newest church member, uh, Little Miss Penelope Brady is here. The miracle baby, miracle baby. I'm sure she is on one of these cards. And how many of you know the miracle manifestation right there? So we're so thankful. We're so happy for you guys. And we're so glad that you would bring her here, like of all places, like your newborn baby. You're like, we just need to get her to church. It's the best place for her. So uh, if you've been with us over the, really it just started last week. Um, we're doing a series. You probably saw it hanging around somewhere. Uh, the series is called Y'all Need Help. And ain't that the truth. Um, and what we've done is we've, cre we've made um, help a little uh, acronym. Uh, if you notice, it says H period, E period, L period, P period. Uh, and what we're doing this month is we're talking about relationships and some of the keys. February is obviously famously um, notorious for relationships um, in that lots of babies are born in December, right? If you, if you catch what I'm throwing down. Um, and so we thought we would take the month and talk about relationships and how to not just have a relationship, but how to have great relationships, right? How many of you know anybody can have a relationship? Anybody can get married. Anybody can have a child. But there's a difference when we understand how to succeed in that area of our life. And so last week, my dad opened it up. We talked about honor. If you weren't here for that, you can check it out online. I would highly encourage you. Uh, to just catch up in, into where we are because every one of these keys, we're only doing it for four weeks, and so every one of these keys is valuable. And, and this week we're going to talk about expectation. It's a pretty loaded word, um, but I know no one in here um, has ever had anybody disappoint our expectations that everybody all the time in our life, in all of our relationships, does everything that we expect them to. Your husband's always pick up the dirty clothes out of the washroom and your teenagers always do everything you ask them to do. And so this morning we're going to talk about theoretical expectation and that what happens for some of us when people don't meet our expectations. And just in case you're sitting next to the person right now who regularly fails your expectations, I'm just going to encourage you to look up at the screen and pretend this absolutely does not apply to you whatsoever. So this morning, I'm going to preach from three biblical characters. Um, we're going to look at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And these people are preached on very often, but maybe would have been seen as, you know, less than pivotal characters in the scripture. And we're going to read this morning, uh, the, our passage is Luke 10, 38. Uh, it's the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And, and this passage is about people preparing a meal. Uh, Martha preparing a meal, wishing Mary would help her, and Lazarus the man is nowhere to be found. You know, where is he? No one knows. Right? <laughs> He's playing Xbox or something, waiting for the meal to be cooked for him, probably somewhere. Verse 38 says this As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Look at your neighbor and say, expectation. 
Maybe look at your other neighbor and say it a little more enthusiastically. That was, I think, less enthusiastic than the first one, but that's cool. Verse 41 says this, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray one more time to get started. Heavenly Father, we ask oh, that your word would go forth this morning with accuracy and excellence, that you would help me to communicate the message clearly to help us understand not how to lower our expectations, but how to put our expectations in the right place. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you come, that you'd minister to us, that these seeds would fall on good ground and they produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. amen. So the general concept of expectation goes like this. There's a gap for most of us between what we expect and what we experience. I'll tell you, there will be a gap in your Valentine's Day this year in between what you expect and what you experience, especially if you forget to buy flowers for your significant other. There's a gap in most marriages. I, I know in my relationship with Danielle, there's a significant gap in our marriage between what she expected and what she experienced. In that, by what I'm saying is she got so much more. <laughs> than what she knew. Even in church, there can be a gap, right? Between what we expect and what we experience and that we expect church people to act a certain way and then we experience something maybe completely different. And the inspiration really for this teaching of mine was a few years back, my dad preached a sermon called The Frustration Gap. And I, I think that it was so fitting in that I think frustration could really be considered the gap between what we expect and what we experience. In fact, let's prove it. 15 years ago, when you, let's say you wanted to go online and you wanted to download a picture, you would have planned three or four hours in order to download and get that picture the way that you wanted it. You knew that you had to, you know, dial up and it was like, right? You knew that that was going to probably take a good five or 10 minutes. And then by the time that your picture actually downloaded, you know that when you sat down, you were in for a solid chunk of, you had to really want the picture in order to go through the process to actually doing it. But now, because we expect things to happen instantly, you know, a few moments of slow Wi-Fi can make us feel like we're one of the many martyrs for Christ. You know, that basically, you know, if it doesn't happen instantly, it's like the third level of hell that we've experienced because of this. In fact, the other day I was trying to download an audio book. Embarrassingly enough, the, the book only downloaded halfway through and I'm trying everything and I found myself cursing the day I was born. <laughs> Why? Because my experience had reached a level, my expectation had reached a level where my experience created a frustration in me. Now in this, what can happen is some people respond to this gap, to this place of their expectation not reaching their experience by lowering their expectation to the level of their experiences. And you can typically tell these people, because these people are typically hopeless, 
These people are typically negative. They're cynical people because they've allowed their experiences to lower their expectations. You'll typically hear these people saying things like, well, I guess I was never meant to be happy. I guess I was never meant to have any money. In fact, I can remember flying home on a plane years ago, talking to this person randomly sitting next to them, and, and this man told me his great life philosophy. And his great life philosophy that he couldn't wait to share with me was this, hope for the best, but expect the worst, right? And I'll suggest that this is problematic to respond to our disappointment and frustration by lowering the expectation that we have for our future to the experiences that we've had in our past. Because in large part, the reality is a lot of our experiences are based off of the levels of our expectations. So essentially, if I lower my expectation to a level, chances are I'm actually going to experience the very thing that I expected. Look, if your perception coming to church today was you've heard about all these church people and you know, these darn church people, they're so hypocritical, judgmental. Oh, these church people, they're just so jealous. Then I'm gonna tell you, your experience of church this morning is going to be shaped by your expectation. You know, you might get a few goosebumps. Hopefully I will give you an inspirational word or two, but because your expectation has been shaped by your experiences, you're just not going to get God's best for what you could have if you had expected God to do something amazing in your life. We see this theory really uh, explained and explored through the entire Gospels where especially the New Testament, God challenging people to increase the levels of their expectation. So what do you do then? Because each of us this morning has areas of our life where we have expectations, but the, ex the gap between the expectation and the experience is great. So instead of bringing my expectation down, what do I do? And I'm going to suggest this morning what we're going to talk about is, is that we allow God to fill the gap between what we expect and what we experience. Because this is what it is. In Luke chapter 10, what we just read, we see a disappointed expectation. Martha is disappointed because she really wants her sister to help cook this meal that she's decided needs to be cooked for Jesus. And now in the cosmic scheme of things, obviously needing help in the kitchen is not that big of a deal. And in this room, I know that there are expectations and experiences that are so much more intense, so much greater than this. Maybe you're in the room right now and you're saying, I thought and expected that when he said till death do us part, he actually meant it. Maybe you thought and experienced and expected that when you got married, it was going to last 50 years like the way your parents' marriage was. Maybe you expected the very people who were supposed to help you ended up being the ones who hurt you. Maybe you prayed, you knew somebody who had a disease and you prayed and prayed and prayed and yet you didn't experience that person's healing come to pass. 
And my question is, if our job or our responsibility isn't to lower the level of our expectation, how do we fill the gap? Because I believe that Jesus has something to teach not only Martha in this passage of scripture, but there's something that each and every one of us can learn. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to go through four points, write these points down, obviously not for yourself, write them down for your spouse or your friends, that way you can remember and give them to them later. Point number one, I cannot expect what I do not express. I cannot expect what I do not express. Can I tell you that a huge part of our frustration in our relationships comes because we have unexpressed expectations of the people that are around us? Can I tell you, it's not fair for my wife to have an expectation of me that I will know what she's expecting in the situation. And if I am not willing to express what I expect, how many of you know I shouldn't really be expecting that anybody would do it? It's not like I message. You know how there's like the thought bubble that you know something is coming. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I message isn't real life. And you don't have thought bubbles that pop up over your head for people to know you're thinking something. But so often frustration sets in because we have expectations inside of relationships that are never honestly expressed or communicated to the level that people know you actually have this expectation. So let's give Martha some credit, really, because at least she expressed her extreme disappointment, right? And at least she knew to take it to the right person, right? She knew Mary probably was kind of spacey, you know? So she decided she was gonna appeal to a higher point and she's like, Jesus, please, I'm so sick of Mary. Can you please tell her, get in the kitchen and give me a hand? So let's give it up for Martha, right? Because at least she's doing that right. Because, you know, this is, this is how I would do if I cooked, which I don't. But if I cooked, you know, I would have been the guy who's in the kitchen, and I would just start, like, banging the pots and pans like crazy, you know? I'd be, like, dropping everything, or I'd be, like, whisking with, like, you know, a jackhammer and trying to make as much noise, breaking plates and everything so that she, my wife, had to know that something was going on. Or it's like, you know, when you sleep in and your spouse doesn't, and all of a sudden you need to vacuum at 6.30 a.m., you know? She, like, turns the shower on, and she might as well have started, like, a power washer. That's how I would have done it. And how so many people do it, but the Bible says that this is not how Martha did it. And people preach a lot about Martha, um, and I think that there's a common mistake that we normally have in that we skip past Martha's positive attributes in order to get to the object lesson that she serves to promote in this story. But I realized something is that if you actually go through the gospel accounts, Jesus stopped at Martha's house more than once, which tells me something. Martha was a good cook because <laughs> if you go somewhere and you have a bad meal, how many of you know you're not willingly stopping again to have a meal at this? You know what else I realized? Nobody was asking for Mary's food. 
You know, Mary's really sweet, and she listens, and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus and doting. But I realize that if Martha didn't open her home to Jesus, Mary would have had nowhere to sit because Mary didn't have a house. <laughs> and so sometimes we can move past these positive attributes about her, and often people point out and they think that the parable of the story is, don't be like Martha. We need to be like Mary. But if nobody's busy like Martha, ain't nobody eating dinner, <laughs> right? That Jesus rolls through town and he'd have had to stop at the local gas station and grab the corn dog because everybody would just be sitting at his feet. So what actually happened here? What went wrong? I would suggest to you that the very thing that went wrong is that the very thing that made Martha effective is backfiring on her. That she was trying to impose a standard on somebody else that was never their calling to do. I heard somebody say at once that Mary had the gift of GCD. We've all heard of OCD. Mary had GCD. GCD is getting crap done, right? <laughs> and she's trying to put something on Mary that was never Mary's to carry. Because there's nothing wrong with what Martha did. This passage is not about not having standards. It's not telling us that the only successful place in life is if we spend all of our days sitting at the feet of Jesus. In fact, Jesus wasn't even correcting the actions that Martha was doing. What Jesus was correcting was the attitude that Martha had when she was doing the actions that she was doing. She was trying to take something that made her lovely and unique and make it a standard for everybody else in her life to live by. Which leads me to point number two. Point number two, I am not authorized to negotiate anyone else's relationship with God. Let me say that again. I didn't get enough ooze for how good that point was. I'm not authorized to negotiate anyone else's relationship with God. Thank you. I hear that ooh. Often we're disappointed in our expectations of other people because we expect them to express their love for God and their love for us in the same way that we do. And because of that frustration and resentment set in, I heard about a man once who, however it came about, became extremely passionate about the homeless and felt that, you know, we need to help the homeless, we need to feed the homeless, we need to close, we need to shelter, we need to do all these things. And he went to his pastor, the church leader that he was a part of, and the pastor, you know, heard it and was, thought it was so amazing and you know, went back to the guy and said, you know, if you are passionate about helping the homeless, then we absolutely believe that you should do everything that you can do in order to help the homeless. But as the story goes, this wasn't good enough for the man because he'd become so burdened by his desire to help the homeless, and which was his burden to carry, but he became angry because he wanted everybody else to carry the burden that he had for the homeless. So Martha tells Jesus and says, Jesus, come over and eat. And Martha has an expectation 
that Jesus is coming over to eat, so therefore we all need to cook to get everything ready in order to eat this food. But I've learned something. I've learned a crucial mistake in the people that I've led. Is that if I try to go between God and people, and I try to figure out what my plan for that person's life is, and then try to get them cooperate in my vision of what I think God's plan is for their life. Any parents ever do that for their children? And I tell you something, that's going to frustrate you endlessly. In verse 40, Martha says it like this, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm in here? Don't you care that I'm in here doing all this stuff for you and Mary is just sitting out there, just wasting time while I'm slaving to get things done? Can I tell you something? Everybody thinks that everybody else is supposed to co-op in the thing that they are passionate about. It's a beautiful thing about humanity. Everybody feels like the thing that they feel is the most important thing is actually the most important thing. And the fact that everybody else doesn't think that their thing is the most important thing is cause for concern because obviously their thing is the most important thing. This is what Mary did. This is what Martha did. Martha, because of the gift that she had, was so convinced that the most important thing to do right now is to feed Jesus. Because he's here. He's come all this way. And she's frustrated because Mary has a different calling than Martha does. And because Mary placed her perception of God's expectation on her, we see that in the story she became bitter to the place of frustration and anger. I think that's why a lot of husbands are frustrated. I think that's why a lot of wives are frustrated. I think that's why a lot of parents and bosses and employees are frustrated because we think that we get a say in how God relates to people. And a lot of frustration stops in life. Can I tell you this? I've learned this. In my brief 34 years on earth so far, I've realized that I can influence people I can inspire people. I can lead you. I could talk to you. I could do all these things, but at the end of the day, you have to stand before God, and I have to stand before God. And until that day happens, God is the only one who can judge how good or not good each and every one of us are. Which leads me to point number three. <laughs> This one's gonna hurt, so I'm gonna push past it real quick. If you're easily offended, plug your ears right now. That, that was a joke. Number three, I must, it's even hard for me to read. I must resist the temptation to draft others into my dysfunction. Let me say it again, just because it sounded good. I must resist the temptation to draft others into my dysfunction. <laughs> I know you thought this month you were going to be like, yeah, and this is how you have great relationships, and this is, you know, but this month we're actually going to really get up in your business. Because Martha was actually the one who had the problem. But her perception was that Mary was the one 
that needed to be fixed. You know, sometimes, I'll say this about myself. You know, Alex, sometimes you mean good, but you could be so dysfunctional that you think that everybody else is the problem except for you, Alex. You know, I realized something. If everybody thinks you're annoying, you know, like if every job that you have ends in being fired, you know, if every relationship that you get end up in ends up with ending, right? I'll just stop there because I think you're getting what I'm throwing down here. I realized something is that the common denominator so often in all of the situations that we find our, in all of the unmet expectations that we have in life. You don't have to clap for this. The common denominator all too often is not Mary. It's Martha. I don't know what she expected when she asked Jesus for help. But I know that Jesus had a different solution than what Mary had expected. Because sometimes God fixes a problem in a way that you didn't expect him to fix it. You came into the scenario thinking that when you prayed, God was gonna fix your husband or your wife or your child, but the problem is really you. And so he comes in and fixes the problem in a way that you didn't think he was gonna fix it because he ends up fixing you instead of fixing them. But I guess the reality is the problem gets fixed and so we should really be happy. At least that's what they tell me. And in verse 41, we see this. Martha says, tell Mary to get over here and do her part. And Jesus responds and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things but few things are needed, indeed only one. And he tells him, this is like the, this is like the, you know, the knife in the back. Because he doesn't just leave it like floating out there. You know, he's like, you know, you haven't chosen right, but it's like, it's okay, nobody chooses right, right? That's how I would say it. I would be like really cushion the blow. And the, but Jesus isn't like that. He's like, I know you're mad at Mary, but you chose wrong, and guess what, baby? Mmm, she chose right. You know, it's kind of like the, ah, take the knife out of my back, Jesus, <laughs> so I could breathe. At this point, I bet, I bet that Mary or Martha is sorry that she brought Jesus into the argument. Because how often have I tried to bring other people into my dysfunction? You know, those times when we get mad at somebody because they refuse to get mad at the person that we're mad at. Ever, anybody ever experienced that before? Right? I'm offended at a person in a situation and I go and tell somebody else about my offense expecting full well that they're gonna be offended. And so now I leave the argument offended at two people instead of offended at one because they wouldn't take on my offense. I guess nobody's been there. God bless you all holy people. Why? Because we get frustrated when we can't draft other people into our dysfunction. And Mary is frustrated because, or Martha is frustrated because Mary refuses to be overcommitted like she is. Right? This is Mary. I can imagine her in the kitchen. And she's like, Mary, get in here. Can't you tell how miserable it is in here? 
I hate this. It's horrible. You need to be in, right? Like, good luck getting anybody to join in on that party. I can remember to this day in university, this is one of the only things actually that I remember about university. Uh, <laughs> I remember going into the office of the, the man who was the food kind of sanitation person. We, I was in biology and so we did dissections and so how I was there was strange, but you don't want to know actually how I was there. Uh, and I can remember the, that hanging above his desk, there was a sign and it said this, your poor planning is not my emergency. Let me say that again, because I didn't get enough ooze. I didn't hear enough knives getting pulled out at that point. Your poor planning is not my emergency. Just because you need it done by Tuesday, but you didn't plan it, doesn't mean that the person who won't do it by Tuesday is lazy. I'm sorry. It just means that we were unprepared. But so often we can be like Mary. You know, would you just help me? Would you just come over? Would you just do it? Would you just get in here? And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Martha. The problem isn't Mary. Right? Like, Martha, I appreciate the fact that you're cooking. I'm here again because I love your casserole. But Martha, I need you to know something. I'm the son of God. And if I needed you to whip up some food, you need to go and ask Peter and John what I could do with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Martha, I'm not here for the cooking. What does he say? Martha, I came because I wanted to be with you. And Jesus says it might not be your expectation of Mary that's the problem. It might be your expectation of yourself. And this leads me to my last point. Number four, the greatest source of my frustration with others is my confusion about God's expectations of me. The greatest source of my frustration with others is my confusion about God's expectations of me. Gotta cook, Jesus is coming. Gotta clean, Jesus is here. Gotta get it ready, the Lord's on the way. You know, I'm sure that Martha did everything that she did with the most right heart that she could. But she was confused about what was actually required of her. I thought about this. I wanted to pose these questions to you. When was the last time that you clarified God's expectation of you? When's the last time that you tried to get to the core of Jesus, his heart, and asked Jesus, what is it that you want from my life? And I'm happy to report in the story that although the rebuke was swift and harsh, Martha got it. Because in John chapter 12, verses 2, we see that there was another, there was a dinner being given in Jesus' honor. And we see again, there was 16 people at this dinner. And lo and behold, some of the people that were there were Mary, Martha, and her brother Lazarus. And something in this passage is significantly different in Martha to the place where we would say something shifted on the inside of her. Because it says that she was there and she was serving and she was doing all this stuff. And it says that Lazarus was 
doing sometimes what I could do, reclining at the table in a chair. And we see the shift in Martha because Martha wasn't angry at Lazarus. She wasn't like, tell that guy to get out of the lazy boy. Like he ain't dead no more. So tell him to get in here and help me do the dishes. We don't see that. We see the scripture simply tell us that she served because there was a shift that happened on the inside of her. I thought this morning as I close out this message, maybe this season of your life, maybe today, maybe this month, isn't about the expectations that we can put on the people in our life. You know, gotta fix my daughter, gotta fix my husband, I gotta fix my wife, I gotta fix my sister, I gotta fix my boss, I gotta fix my mother-in-law. You know, God, please fix these crazy people that I work with. Maybe this morning what God is asking is that we would allow him to impart a new expectation of ourselves. Because maybe when you know what he really wants from you, to be with you, to love you, to cherish you, to grow you, to instruct you, to walk with you, that our expectations of others will resemble his heart for us. I realize that I'm at my best as a pastor, I'm at my best as a husband, I'm at my best as a father, when instead of trying to superimpose my expectations on the people around me, instead I simply just have the heart of God for the people that I lead in my life. Can I challenge you this morning? Can I challenge you that instead of thinking that everybody else needs to somehow fill the gap in between what we expect and what we experience, to simply just have a heart of love, have God's heart for people, and instead of expecting others to fill our gap, to begin to be the people in life who we fill the gap for them and what they're going through. Can I tell you something? If you want to be an effective parent, you want to be effective as a boss, you want to be effective as a spouse, you want to be effective as a friend, it all happens when people first believe that you believe in them. Can I tell you this morning, don't let what you have experienced keep you from what God wants you to expect. I'm going to ask for just a moment that each of us would take a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed just for a moment of privacy and concentration. I wanna take a second to just acknowledge that I have no idea what it feels like to be in a loveless marriage. I have no idea what it feels like to have a wayward teenager. I have no idea what it feels like to be on my seventh or eighth month of unemployment, to have parents who don't love me. So by no means am I trying to belittle this. I believe this morning what God is inviting us into is the reality that though people around us may not know what we're going through, the invitation is to serve a God who knows everything. Scripture tells us that Jesus, through the period of his life, felt every emotion that we could ever feel. Though you may feel like nobody understands, maybe you've never told anybody what you've gone through. There's a God, a creator, a lover of our soul who knows 
the emotions, the experiences that we're going through. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or to respond this morning. I simply believe that the Lord just wants me to pray over each and every one of you. That we will release the negative experiences of our life to welcome God's highest expectation for our future. So Heavenly Father, over every head bowed and every eye closed, every man, woman, every child in this building, Lord, we know that your word tells us that you have the most amazing ability to turn even the worst situations in our life into good ones. You have the ability to make our deepest pain into our greatest promise. You have the ability to turn disappointment and despair into destiny. And this morning, Holy Spirit, we invite you into that place in our life. We choose as an act of our will this morning to release the pain, the frustration, the anger, the resentment, the bitterness. We choose as an act of our will to release those things to you. And in its place, Lord, we ask that you would help us, teach us, heal us to dream again. That we would remove all of our misplaced expectations from people and situations. And we would place our expectations where they belong, in your hands, because God, we know you are the only one who could fill in the gaps in our life. And we thank you for this. And if you believe it and receive it, say amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.